Welcome to Hopefully Somebody Knows, where we talk about dad stuff. Today's episode is a bit different as it's the first time I've interviewed someone I didn't know personally. Tom Schwab is the CEO of Interview Valet, a company that matches podcasters with interviewees. I reached out to them a while back as I was ramping up the show to see if they had anyone in their guest roster that could be a good fit. In a cool surprise, their CEO, Tom, offered himself up to be a guest. Tom is an advocate for the power of podcasting and is a very knowledgeable marketer himself. But what I was most interested in were his experiences as a dad. Tom has four kids and now two grandkids. He served in the Navy. He's worked for big companies and been an entrepreneur, traveled for business, balanced that with his family life, etc., We also, for the first time on this show, get into a discussion about religion. Tom and I both grew up Catholic, and he talks about how religion fits into his worldview and his parenting, and I share a bit about my take on religion, as well as my struggles with how to best layer it into my family's life. If you're selling anything and are interested in finding podcasts for you to appear on, please reach out to Interview Valet. You can reach them at the page they set up for us. That's interviewvalet.com slash HSK, as in hopefully somebody knows. So it's I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W-V-A-L-E-T dot com slash H-S-K. And I hope you enjoy this chat with Tom Schwab. All right. Uh, thank you for joining us once again on the Hopefully Somebody Knows podcast. Uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, there's a podcast by a dad, for dads, talking to other dads about dad stuff. Uh, you know, as we talked about in the past, that's all things related to fatherhood and parenting and marriage and being a better man, et cetera. Uh, I'm really excited to have uh, someone that I'm uh, a little bit intimidated by, but excited to chat with a gentleman named Tom Schwab. So Tom and I connected through his company, Interview Valet. Interview Valet connects podcasters like me with great guests who would be relevant uh, for their podcast, great, great podcast content, but also those guests to reach customers um, for their products. And so I thought it'd be an interesting connection to make if there were dads or people who are interested in talking about parenting or dad stuff. And Tom was gracious enough himself as the CEO to volunteer to be interviewed. So uh, thank you, Tom, very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Hey, thanks, Scott. I love what you're doing here. And uh, I only wish that uh, there was this podcast uh, back when my kids were uh, were just born uh, because uh, I hoped somebody would know, and I hope the kids didn't know that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> That's perfect. That's an excellent way to dive in. So why don't we um, learn a little bit more about you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, and then uh, we'll go from there. Sure. So um, I'm a Midwest kid, grew up in uh, suburbs of Chicago, uh, was blessed enough to go to the Naval Academy, uh, went into the Navy. My daughter uh, was born uh, shortly thereafter, and uh, I was a young ensign in the Navy and was scared to death. Uh, that little girl was the strongest girl in the world because she had me wrapped around her finger. Uh, but also, I was scared because I'm thinking, I, I've conquered everything else. I've mastered other things, but I have no idea what I'm doing here as a parent. And uh, a lot of people helped me on that. But uh, uh, as the years went on, uh, I've been blessed with four wonderful children, um, ages uh, 30, 27, 22, and 19. Um, uh and a and I've got to say two wonderful grandchildren. I call them great grandchildren, but my <laughs> wife, my bride, gets very upset when I call them great grandchildren uh, because uh, she says they're wonderful. Don't make us sound older than we right, are. Right, exactly. They're and, excellent grandchildren. They you have not earned the title yet of great grandfather. 
That's right. Important and, distinction, yeah. <laughs> and so we live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, you know, work for me is is what I do, not where I go. And people say, well, why do you still live in Kalamazoo, Michigan? And I'm like, because I can live anywhere, and uh, that's where the family is. So uh, I run this agency. We've got 16 wonderful people uh, in it, uh, all a virtual company. Not everybody lives in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, but uh, I'm still learning how to be a dad because, you know, even with a 30-year-old, there's new challenges that come up that I've mm. never faced before, uh, and it's fun to see um, the kids starting to go through different things too. And uh, you know, I'm uh, le- learning uh, as I go along. And I honestly say my best teachers right now are my two grandchildren. Uh, that uh, that they have great insights. So I'm excited to talk about all of it. How old are they again? The grandkids? Uh, four and two. Oh, so a girl and a boy. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so just uh, from a work perspective, can you tell us a little bit about kind of one of the things I always think about is, um, you know, I know the way that I parent has been influenced a little bit by my work and I have other friends that have had that happen and some not. Um, Can you give us a little bit of background on you, you know, your time in the Navy, et cetera, and, and how, or if that's influenced how you parent? Uh, Very much so. And I even say that with different kids, I parented differently. Right. Because when I was in the Navy, um, you know, I was deployed for nine months at a time. Um, and it was really weird um, because, you know, my son and I really didn't have that much of a relationship until he was older. You know, there's an old joke in the, the military that you can be there for the, uh, the conception of your birth or the birth. You, you take your choice. <laughs> um, and so, I think the former I'd prefer. Yeah. Uh, if I had to Yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, but it, you know, everybody's there. A lot of people have different jobs, right? Um, they could be working in an, uh, an offshore facility. They could be in the Navy and the military and uh, just deployed for, uh, different times. And so for that, for those times, I tried to be as connected as I could with the technology that we had at the, that day and age, you know, for that, for my kids, that meant wherever I was, I'd send them a postcard. And they mm. would cherish those things because they knew that came from from daddy or pictures that uh, uh, that they could um, look at, um, make the calls when I could. Uh, but then I made sure that when I was home, when I wasn't deployed, that I was totally there. Mm-hmm. And even later on, uh, when I was in a corporate job and sales, I was gone a lot. I traveled. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was still thinking about them. So, so checking in on different things. And when I was there, I tried to be fully present. It, it breaks my heart now uh, to see parents with their with their little kids, and the kids are playing, and they, you know, mommy, daddy, do this, and you see the parents that are they're there on the phone. You know, yeah. they're at uh, they're at a football game, and they're not watching the football game. They're yeah. they're looking at something on the phone. And I think the kids really noticed that. And so back 20 years ago, even now, I try to be present and and working fully in whatever I'm there. So if I'm at work, uh, I, I'm present at work. If I'm at home, I'm present at home. That's great. One, one of the things I was chatting with a friend of mine who travels a lot for work, and I do as well, is you know certainly not at the gaps of time that you did when you were deployed, but when you kind of drop back in as a as a parent right and your wife or you know a significant other has been taking care of the kids while you've been gone how do you find how do you find a way to fit back into that rhythm you know like uh, they've, they've created a rhythm without you to some extent where do you how do you like dive back into that oh talk talk about a 
kick in the groin mm. when you come home after being gone for a while and all of a sudden one of your kids walks right by you and asks, you know, a mom, uh, <laughs> can I go outside and play? And it's like, well, what about me? You know, you could have asked me, but they don't see you as a the authority figure, and you you can't blame them for that. So sure. I think uh, trying to be as supportive as possible there, and then also communicating that too. Uh, don't uh, I, I started out where I at times be resentful about that. Yeah. You know, it's like what what about me? And talking to that with with other dads, uh, other people, it's like how do you deal with this? Um, and they would explain it. Now we're just even talking to my wife about it, and you know, knowing that that conversation and how I felt about that because she was used to just you know telling Samantha, yeah, honey, you can go outside and play. And you know, after she knew that that bothered me, she would go, well, you could ask Daddy that too. Um, you know, and then uh, I'd always ask, can I go outside and play too? <laughs> Um, so back to being in the Navy, I, I have not interviewed anybody who's ex-military. Is there anything in kind of the military structure or, or way of doing things that you applied to the way that you parent? <laughs> the good and the bad. Okay. Um, right. Um, so, uh, the good was, um, that there was more structure and discipline. Um, and it was funny, um, Looking back on it, uh, my my son, um, the worst punishment you could ever give him was something that I learned in the military when they would put us, it was called nose and toes. And so he'd have to stand there in a doorway and his nose would have to touch the door, the doorway, <laughs> and his toes would. And um, Ian just, that was total punishment for him um, to be separated there. And it might only last 60 seconds um, but it would break that cycle. You know, if you put him in a corner with timeout, yeah. he would just get more and more mad. So by the time he was probably five or six years old, um, I figured out that nose and toes worked for him. Yeah. And sometimes that 60 seconds would take five minutes, but it would just break him enough and uh, not, not break him. It would break his what he was thinking about yeah, or what yeah. he was doing. It was like that version of, of time out and right. that he would come back 60 seconds later and um, he, he'd be a new, new kid and go mm -hmm. on from there. So that was like one of the little things. The problem that I had sometimes would be in the military. A lot of times you're very abrupt. Uh, you're very command giving directives. Right. Um, I can remember my daughter one time, uh, knocking at the bedroom door and, and, you know, on the ship, you would just yell enter, mm -hmm. right? Um, because that's what you were telling them to do. And I, 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 this little three-year-old, four-year-old knocks at the door and I scream out enter and she was stood outside the door and just cried. <laughs> right. So I had to remember that I was, I wasn't dealing with other adults. And I think to me now, even this, the best way I do for that is to remind myself and I get down on their level. Yeah. So uh, to talk to them eye to eye, you know, it's got to be a crazy world. We were talking about this one time. Imagine you're two years old or three years old and you're walking around all the time and all you ever see is people's butts. <laughs> and when you're trying to walk, you've got an arm up over your head. Oh, and by the way, there's somebody pulling on your arm. And if you trip, 
your knees really don't hit because they've got your arm there. So yeah. I always try to stop or slow down and and talk with them and get down on my knees and talk eye to eye. And um, you know, there's it. Uh, the communication goes a lot better that way uh, than trying to talk down to them. And there's certain times where uh, you have to be directive, right? Don't go in the parking lot. Don't right. go in the street. Don't touch that. Uh, but often, if you get down, if you're trying to instruct them uh, and really teach them, uh, get down on their eye level. I like that. My my younger daughter, I remember one time in particular, I picked her up, uh, sort of the inverse of that. And she said, oh, this is how you see things, Daddy. And she put her eyes like exactly at the same level as my eyes. And she was sort of like, huh, that's interesting. So it was like the inverse of that. That's really interesting. And I like the um, nose and toes thing. That's uh, having daughters, you know, the idea I think you sort of are getting into is, I call it popping the bubble, like whatever they're in the middle of, you need to just like yes. burst that emotional whatever. And so I tell them to do a twirl because you can't continue to be mad while you're twirling. Like I have two little dancers. So <laughs> that always sort of just breaks them out of, of that, of those cycles. That's interesting. What did you have? What, how did that punishment work in the Navy to get nose and toes? Like what, 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 what would you have to have done to have gotten that punishment in the Navy? Just out of curiosity. Oh, there, um, there are certain things, you know, um, it may be nose and toes, and then they would tell you to take a step back or something. And oh, okay. So, uh, okay. uh, that, and it was, um, uh, looking back on it, it was probably borderline hazing at that time. Uh, but, uh, it got the point over and, uh, I, I, I can, uh, when I was going through problems with my son, you know, adolescence, mm -hmm. uh, when he was in junior high, um, there were times where I would pull back on some of my military training or not training, but experience. Okay. And it was not the best, but it's where I went to. And my, my son still remembers this. And I tell him, please don't do this with your kids. Uh, but we, I'd be talking to him and he'd say something and I would look at him and say, this is a monologue, not a dialogue. I like that. And, uh, I like that. <laughs> it got the point across. Yeah. Like you, we actually don't need your opinion during this conversation. This is just you listening. So um, slightly different conversation. I was listening to one of your previous uh, podcast interviews and it sounded like you have a couple of daughters that are relatively close in age, correct? Correct. So what was that gap between them? So the, so there's 30, then 27 and then 22 and uh, 19 now. Okay. And if you look, if you listen back to the beginning of the podcast, the ages might have changed. I can never <laughs> keep them quite, quite straight. Um, I'm not a liar. It's just, I, I've got four kids and I can't, you know, if I had one kid, I couldn't keep their age and name straight. But it's amazing that the two younger ones, there's almost like a generation gap between the older ones and the younger ones. Um, you know, how they grew up and everything. Um, and it's, it's, they're, they're all close and, uh, um, but there, there's definitely, it almost seems like a generation gap between them. I mean, how they grew up with digital technology, all, all the rest of that. Well, tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? Because that, that's not a huge age gap. So why, you know, what are you seeing? Is it technology? Is it, is it culture? Is it like, what's, what, that's interesting to me that they would be I, so I think it's a, 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 and a lot of it is technology too, right? So, uh, the 30 year old the other day was, was given the 22 year old a hard time because she had no idea how to read a map, um, or, you know, uh, directions and, um, right. she's never had to right no. in, in her entire world, especially when she was driving and everything, um, she had GPS, yeah. And she knew how to do that. And the older kids 
were just like making fun of her almost. It's like, how can you not know how to use a map? That's we talked about other things like a phone book. The 30-year-old probably could figure out how to use a phone book. The 18-year-old would look at it and go, why? Yeah, you know? why, why is this thing on our doorstep? Why is this something we need? Exactly. So little things like that and uh, even references to other historical events um, that are different for him. You know, that that joke of uh, you always feel old when somebody says, like, where were you for 9-11 or yeah. uh, other things. And for, you know, um, the younger kids, they grew up more in the Columbine shootings and yeah. some of those other events were big to them. And the older kids, uh, they may have been beyond that or at a different stage or uh, they understood it in a different level maybe because they, yeah. they definitely were growing up during that time uh, but for them they could process it more as adults uh, than the kids that's interesting yeah not as transformational you know it's interesting I was talking to somebody the other day and we were uh, totally random but we were talking about Pearl Harbor and how people of my generation that's just a it, yeah, yeah it was sad that that happened but it was not as transformational as like 9-11 was to my generation, just because it, you know, it, it was historical. It was something that happened in the past, and it wasn't during that period of time when it was, you were still this kind of raw, new clay of a person, not really knowing how the world worked. That's interesting. So, um, that's interesting on the on the generational thing. I was explaining a Thomas guide to my daughter the other day. My dad used to drive around with those bound guides of the maps in the back of his car, and they just fundamentally didn't understand it either. Um, as far as having two daughters, this is one hundred percent selfishly for me, but hopefully there are other people who have two daughters that are in the same boat. I'd love to get your take on, you know, my guy friends and I that have daughters are all in the, okay, they're nine, 10 years old. We got maybe a year or two before the wheels come off completely, et cetera. And I worry to some degree, like, you know, is this a real thing? Have we sort of culturally created this, like, we just allow them to be crazy for three years? Or is it that, you know, girls, it depends on the girl. Like, can you give me either the, the truth or, or some advice on how to handle uh, daughters, particularly both, going through, you know, puberty at the same time? Yeah, um, that was the only reason I could see for staying in the Navy and being deployed. It's like, maybe I could be deployed during those puberty age, the... Um, those those times, right? Uh, the hormones went crazy and they went crazy. And I'm scratching my head and going, where did my little girls go? Yeah. Right? And I, it, I think it's part of the natural process, right? Boys do it too. There's something about, they can't stay little kids forever. That wouldn't right. be healthy for them. It wouldn't be healthy for us. And they're going through a lot. And uh, I just look at it and it was easier um, after seeing, seeing it once, uh -huh. uh, with the oldest and then seeing it with the younger ones too. Just okay. realize that you're you're building a foundation, right? So you're investing in it um, all of those times up till whatever it is, 10, 13, where, wherever it happens, that foundation will come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't ruin a relationship over some crazy times there um, because they're going through a lot of things. You know, I, I even say with boys, they're their brains aren't fully developed now, they say, until what, like 26 or 27? So That's I almost right. have to remember, uh, yeah, they're, uh, he doesn't understand yet. His brain's not fully developed. Wait, yeah. to, wait till he's, you know, uh, 28, married, got uh, a mortgage and, and kids, <laughs> then he'll understand. But it's funny, I was talking with somebody and uh, I gave him hope and I said, um, don't worry, uh, your little girl will come back. And he's like, Really? How long did it take? And I thought, well, let's see. 
Samantha, when she when she hit puberty, uh, I think sort of went crazy. And it not crazy. That's that sounds like an awful word. It was it definitely changed things. Yeah. And they're like, well, what what brought it back to normal? And I thought for a second. I thought, I think when she got pregnant with her first daughter, and the wow. hormones must have gone back the other way. And you know. It was then we had a different relationship and could see things differently. And now we're stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to judge the relationship in the long term. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, what kind of relationship are we going to have in the long term? Not, not what's it going to be today? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember my, uh, my younger sister um, going through some of those times. And she would look at my dad and she was, she was mean. <laughs> she, she would look and say, I don't love you anymore. And oh. my, dad, my dad would smile back at her and says, well, and I don't love you any less. And it's just s- sort of that same thing that you're still my daughter, all the rest of that. And yeah. uh, so, you know, you've got to be the adult. You've got to be the, uh, um, the sane one, the stable one in that relationship. And, and they can bounce off the walls, go up and down and everything like that. But you can't follow them in all that, that emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. because it won't help either one of you. Yeah, that's good advice. I like I like the idea of the, the foundation, right? I think that's an interesting thought. You know, I, I try to think about jam them full of self-esteem and let them know they're loved, and, you know, that's kind of the baseline. And then maybe things go a little silly for a little while, but they'll come back to that. I think that's a good way to think about that. So let's talk about that, by the way, because one of the things I've been thinking a little bit about, and I talked in a previous episode about values and about, um, you know, I, uh, we touched on this a little bit in email, but... Um, sort of modern values get complicated. And I don't want to get, you know, like you can, get, you can discuss how or why or what have you, but really fundamentally the, the world that I grew up in was fairly religious, you know, not strictly so, but this is the way the world works because this is, you know, we go to a church on Sunday and this is the way things, you know, are laid out. Um, you do the right thing, right and wrong is pretty clear. And, and you know, due to technology, due to change in the culture, what have you, it, I think it's harder, particularly for, um, it seems like that's in my generation, to lay down that, that kind of value baseline. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you think about, you know, values and how you think about transmitting that values, that baseline, right? That you talked about giving your, your kids. How do you think about that world? What, what kind of values have you laid down and, and, and have you seen them continue or change as they've become parents? Some of those same kind of uh, value communication. There's a lot yeah. there. Does that make and sense? I think one of the key words there is communications. Okay. Right. So when we were young, our parents knew what all our communications were. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically knew what was being taught at school. You know, they knew what was being taught in at, at church. They knew what was ta- being taught at home. Um, they knew what was being taught in the neighborhood. Right. It, so it was fairly controlled. Now it's like I have no idea what they're accessing on the Internet, um, what kinds of different things there. So I think the conversation is the big part there, too. And, you know, kids will always push back. It's a natural thing. It's, it's good. Uh, if they don't push back, maybe they'll be living in the basement till the time they're 60. So I think it's important to have that conversation um, and not saying, um, you're wrong, I'm right, but why do you see that? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my, my daughter right now um, reminds me of the Winston Churchill quote, if you're not a liberal by the age of... Um, if you're not a liberal by the age of 20, you don't have a heart. Uh, if you don't, if you're not a conservative by the age of 40, you don't have a brain. Well, this girl's got the biggest heart. And, you know, as opposed to just fighting with her and saying, 
you have no idea how the world works. Right. Um, and, 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 and talking to her about things like that, uh, that it's not all, um, it's not all rainbows and sunshine, uh, to be able to, to talk with her and say, well, why do you think that, you know, and asking those questions, because if, if you tell them something, um, they may agree with you and say, yeah, dad, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, way of, that's way of saying, dad, shut up. I just want to go on with it. Yeah. Not that that's right. Or I believe you, but sh- you're sure that you're right. You right. Know, close this and move on to the next conversation. Right. And there's a, yeah. there's a book out there. It's called never split the difference. Um, I'll take that down of- for the show notes. I got it. Yeah, I can't think of the author's last name. It's an interesting book. Um, he was an ex-FBI um, hostage negotiator. Cool. And so it's a great business uh, negotiation book. It's a great marriage book. Um, it's a great parenting book. And to ask the right questions um, and asking open-ended questions that don't have judgment, um, you know, but asking more open-ended questions of, well, how do you think that would work? Or, um, you know, there was a comment in the military. It used to be, and I think it's from um, oh, one of the classic Marine movies, you know, what's your major malfunction? Right, that is right. Not a, that's not a question. Full Metal Jacket, that comes yeah, from. Yeah. Um, that is not a question. That is a judgment statement. Right. But to ask them, huh, well, why do you see it that way? Well, how do you think that would work out if everybody looked at it that way? You know, do you think everybody looks at it that way? So asking those questions to try to get them to discover what you already know, as opposed so that they can say, huh, that's right. As opposed to, yeah, you're right. Interesting. So, so more drawing it out of them to help them make their own decisions. That's interesting because it's similar to, you know, I do some uh, work mentor coaching stuff it's not dissimilar to that right instead of telling an employee go do right or or you should sell it this way whatever it is sometimes it's better to say what you know what do you think you could have done differently what do you think didn't work there why wasn't that successful is that kind of similar concept very much so and really what we're trying to do right is um with with children we're not trying to raise children we're trying to raise adults Mm -hmm. And um, so if you, if you start asking the questions that they're going to need to, need to ask as adults anyway, um, that's an important thing. And to, to get them to be inquisitive and start to ask why as opposed to just hearing it, um, I think that can be really, really powerful. And because, you know, in, in the Navy, it was always, you'd say, the true test of the ship or the, the skipper was not when the skipper was there, but when the skipper wasn't there. And I think it's the same thing as a parent, right? The true test of your parenting is not when you're standing there. It's how do the kids act, behave? Um, what decisions do they make when you're not there? And, you know, at the end of the day, we're not always going to be able to be there. And, and sometimes they're going to grow up, go to school, move on, be around friends. And they've got to be prepared for that. They've got to already have thought about those questions uh, and so that they can, they can ask themselves that. So it's not so much about dictating your values down. It's about asking them to think about what theirs would be or, or how they would react to a situation. Am, am, well, am I, I don't know I'm getting all of it, but yeah, I, I, I think, think we're heading that it, way. Explaining why you believe something okay, and 
if they if they believe something different or have been exposed to something different, um, asking them, well, why do you see it that way? Um, like in, in values, well, why do you think think that's okay? You know, and this is this is the reason that you know I don't think that uh, you know you should treat people that way. You know, um, not because they're a minority, a group, or or anything like that. It's because you know I believe that everybody is made in God's image, mm-hmm. and so no matter what the color of their skin is, they they're still made in God's image, mm-hmm. and so that's the way I see it. Why, why do you see it? You know, Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And to go through, um, so that they understand why you believe something. Um, and so that they can think it through in their mind too, because they're going to get exposed to crazy ideas, right? Um, just go on, on YouTube, anything. There's some like really, really crazy things out there. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to them, it's like, huh, that sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Un- until you start asking those questions, it's like, well, why? And mm-hmm. I, I think um, a, a problem that I have seen is that the education system teaches people how to learn, how to be compliant, and not to think. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> one of my uh, my uh, third uh, my third child, uh, the second daughter, I love her dearly. She is the best rule follower. She was a great student. Mm-hmm. She is a great student, right? But when she started to drive, every winter, she would get stuck at the same intersection because it's uphill, it's slushy, it's a country road, and the stop sign's back there a little bit. And we had to talk about that. It's like, honey, don't stop here. Not in the winter, right? Uh, you lose momentum, you'll get stuck, all the rest of this. And she was like, but there's a stop sign. I can't right. just roll through the stop sign. I can't, um, I can't, uh, I can't break that rule. And it's yeah. like, well, why, why is the rule there? What's, what's the purpose of it? Uh, you know, can you go slowly through that? Uh, it's not a black and white issue. They just don't want you going into out, um, oncoming traffic. Right. And so to force her to think through that, and it's like, what, they want you to be safe. That's the intent. What? How do I apply this rule so that everybody is safe? And trust me, calling dad every winter um, to say I'm stuck at the intersection three quarters of a mile from our home is not the safe thing to do. Uh, again, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, I you, you were talking about this and I had this happen too. You know, you come home your first year of college and you've already figured out the world, right? From your late night chats in your dorm room. And you know what? There's, there's no God and blah, blah, blah. And you, I've got it all figured out. And, and then as you get older, you're like, I don't know anything. And, and that sort of was the point of this podcast is, is that as long as you can create yourself, uh, uh, as long as you can work on creating a culture of learning for yourself to constantly be taking in information, evaluating information, is this valid or not? Is it relevant or not? you know, throwing away the things that don't work and, and keeping the things that do. Um, but I think that's kind of what you're hitting on as well. Like the, the logical thinking as well as just getting back to your point about coaching and, and that questioning, what do you think about this? Why did this work? You know, why didn't this work? And creating that mindset of like at an early age, I like that a lot of like making sure that instead of like no or don't because asking them their thought process on it and, and asking them to rationalize and think through something before letting it become, you know, uh, hardened in their heads. Yeah, just not a battle of will. And, uh, uh, you know, I've never learned anything when I'm uh, at the very top. 
Um, God usually lets me get there and then stumble down to the bottom to remember what uh, what I was told. And it's, uh, you know, there's certain times where you're just you're just plain scared, you know, like when I had a child. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. uh, I thought I knew everything. I was an officer in the Navy. And then there's this little being there. I can remember the uh, uh, the nurse saying, uh, r- rolling uh, Samantha in and saying, you can pick her up. And I looked, I said, why? <laughs> right. She's not crying. She's happy. There is no need for me to mess this up. Yeah. And uh, early on, I remember somebody pointed out to me uh, and these these words have come back to help me numerous times that uh, every child has a dad and a father. Uh, the dad is here on earth and he's trying to do the best as he can. The father is up in heaven and he's perfect. But there's one thing they both have in common is they both love the child dearly. I like that a lot. So, so did, uh, you, did you grow up in a religious household or, or did you find religion later? You know, I grew up in a religious household. So I grew up, I grew up Catholic mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, I went through 12 years of Catholic school. Uh, I was taught by Benedictine monks for four years, and I would have to say it was very religious, um, and then I got more spiritual on there. You know, I don't know that how you can can see a child and not believe um, that God exists or some kind of divine being. Um, that, That does not happen by accident, and it's not, you know, um, they say there's no atheist in the foxhole. Well, when your kids, when your kids sick or something like that, um, you, you'll pray, you'll pray to God. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, that gets you down on your knees. Um, Mm -hmm. when you're, when your child is rebelling or something like that, I think it, it, uh, it definitely caused me to read the Bible differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you read it differently as a, as a parent or as a Mm -hmm. father than you did just beforehand. Right. Really? Uh, Just from the. The standpoint of um, interesting story, like uh, yeah, to uh, to sacrifice your only son. All right, mm-hmm. that, that was a really interesting story before I had kids, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I would do anything for my kids to save yeah. their life and everything, and to to offer them up. Uh, no, I I, yeah. I do anything but that. Yeah. Uh, or even sometimes. Um, when you think you look and how rebellious your kids are, it's like, how many times have I told them? How many times do I have to make it clear? Why can't they just understand? Mm-hmm. And then you start going, huh? I wonder if my father thinks the same way there. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the same way, um, like you talk about the teenage years and everything mm-hmm. like that. Well, mm-hmm. it's the the prodigal son and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, Good we've, point. we've, we've gone off and, done stupid things just out of ego and pride. Um, and like talking about before, it's, there's got to be a stable force there. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's God, that's, that's um, the dad, the father, um, you know, you got to build that relationship. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, uh, there's oftentimes I go in there and, uh, and just read something and go, oh, okay, that's how I must make, make God feel. It's interesting. Um, I like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that's been interesting in our house. We, um, so I, my wife was K through 12 Catholic. I grew up Catholic, same deal, mm-hmm. but have kind of struggled with, uh, religion. But in the past few years, I've said, you know what? I feel like this is really something that I need my family to have, right? My family needs religion in it as a father. And I need to model that, even though like, you know, I'm still figuring it out in my own mind. I know that it's important 
to me and and but 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 i need to set like the i need to be the um i'm gonna say this the right way if i'm embracing religion and getting to church every sunday and showing that i care and you know being involved in it um then my kids will follow and, and realize that this is something that's important to them and valuable to them it's interesting living in seattle religion is not it, i think we might have the lowest percentage church attendance in the u.s i think and and very few of my friends go to church at all and and it's funny there's often you know a little bit of joke sometimes around on saturday nights where i'm like i gotta get home i gotta get church in the morning They're like oh right you do that church thing um so one of the things that i've been trying to think about how to get across and maybe you can help me with this is i don't want to sell christianity per se but i believe that religion in some context and i mean religion not like I'm spiritual, but not religious, whatever that means that people say quite a lot. I don't really understand that. I, I, no one's really ever been able to explain it eloquently to me, but that I think there's some benefit to your family and, and to your parenting by adding religion into the way that you, into your family as a whole. Do you buy I that? I agree with you. I agree with you. And I would call it structure too. Okay. Um, kids love structure, right? Um, yeah. I think all people, as much as they push back on it, they love routine. They love structure. What do we do, you know, uh, on, on Sunday night, Sunday night, we have dinner Sunday morning. We go to church together as a family, things yeah. like that. Um, where I got, where to me, it, it, a lot of times it was cultural Catholic, right? Yeah. I don't know why I do this, but I do it. We, we do it because of this, um, and didn't understand it because nobody really explained what it meant behind there. And to me, it's like, I think the religion is important, but also the relationship. And mm -hmm. that's where I had the religion, but not the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think um, that they, I think kids need a relationship with their parents. Mm -hmm. They also need a relationship with their creator, God, yeah. some divine being there, um, because the world is a very, very lonely place for them. Yeah. And they're going to find places where they're, they're by themselves. And I think if they have something to go back to, to fall back yeah. to, um, that's important. Yeah. It's, you're hitting a good point about structure too. I find that like, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of Christianity that explains a lot of the way the world works, that explains a lot of how you should behave and how you should act and there's a lot of really simple kind of rules that i think kids can really get their heads around and enjoy my my older daughter right now is passionately in love with going to church on sunday listens only to christian rock like she is deep on this right now and i think she just right now needs that model in the way that she thinks about the world does that make any sense like so so question for you though you, you mentioned a good point about culture that was me culturally catholic right you Christmas and Easter, you know, you do the, do the first communion, you check the boxes. Right. Um, but there was never any kind of deeper questioning or, or, or relationship is the way you said it. So was there, and, and if you, if this is too personal, please feel free to, to, to move past it. But was there something that helped you trip and flip from one to the other to go from like, this is the thing I do on Sundays to like, this is part of who I am. Um, I think it's ideas. And that's one of the things that um, I think God reveals himself in, in various ways, various, various people, all the rest of that. Mm -hmm. And when I grew up, it was very, this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I didn't question it at that point there. Mm -hmm. So I think as I got older and started to say, well, why do they, they see the world this way? Why do they see the world that way? Yeah. And um, then started to look at, I knew it in my mind but I never knew it in my heart. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I, I, that, that came later in life and it probably came, you know, when, I, when I was down on my knees again and, yeah. and, and realized that, um, uh, there is a God and it is not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and just to, to realize that all of those things that I was taught as a kid are, are true and they're true for me too. Okay. Um, and so that, that was important. And I, I give my pa- parents credit too, because when I was in high school, um, I dated a girl that was Methodist and my parents said, yeah, you can go to church with her, but you better go to mass first. <laughs> right. So, um, I, I would go to mass in the morning, you know, the seven o'clock special, uh, half hour, um, right. in and out Close singing, bang it out. Yep. That's right. Uh, so that uh, in the summer they could get to the golf course right. in plenty of time, <laughs> um, all, all the rest of that. And it was great. And then I could go to, um, uh, to church with her and the youth group and stuff like that. And so it was interesting at times to just think, well, why do they see it that way? You know, yeah. why do we see it that way? And it gave a different perspective. And, and sometimes if all you've ever seen is this is the way it is, um, you don't question that it's other ways. And a buddy of mine grew up, um, uh, in uh, Detroit area, very, very Catholic. And he said he was in college before he realized that uh, other faiths and other denominations were not like just other parishes. And he was like almost 18 years old. He figured, well, I figured everybody was, you know, Catholic. It's just, did you go to St. Mary's or St. Patrick's or anything like that? Right. And uh, you can sort of appreciate it more when you can see um, how you can appreciate it from an outsider's perspective or start to question of, well, why do I, why do I, uh, uh, why do I believe this? Yeah, yeah, and exposing a little. There's a little bit of like if exposure to other things helps you open up your eyes to saying, yeah, validating your own beliefs. Like that's interesting that they do this that way. That shows me something differently. But I still believe this the way that I believe it now. But at least now you're not questioning. It's just this is a thing we do because mom and dad make us. It's the thing that I'm choosing. Yeah, we uh, uh we got invited to a Passover dinner by a friend. And I highly suggest doing that if you ever get invited. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was so funny because uh, the kids were older, but we went to it and uh, they're reading the prayers and everything like that. And at the end, uh, the, the friend of mine that uh, was hosting it, I nudged him. I said, well, you know, Paul, you stole all these prayers from the Catholic church. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, don't tell anybody we got a good deal on them. And but, you know, it's like there was so much commonality there between the different things. And I could right. appreciate it more. It's like, oh, OK, that's where it comes from in the mass. That's yeah. referencing back to, you know, Exodus and, and the Jewish tradition. And yeah. it just makes it, it much richer that way. That's cool. Thank you. Thanks for letting me talk about that. This is the first time we really broached religion on the show. And I appreciate you, you humoring me and letting us have that conversation. I, one more question for you, because I think it's interesting. We haven't had a chance to talk about this. You touched earlier on parenting you're now adult kids. I think that's really interesting. It's not something I deal with right now, but some of my listeners might be like, how do you think about parenting a 30 year old, a 27 year old? Like what is, what is, how does that change for you? And what's your role once they start to enter adulthood themselves? Yeah, it's, I think you, even as an adult, right. Um, you, you still have a parent and you still go to them for advice. Um, and if you don't believe that once you lose a parent, you know, you'll just realize, man, I, I, I miss my dad. I miss my mom, the wisdom they gave me. Um, so I think part of it is, um, being there, being open to ask questions and in the same way, um, respecting them as an adult, Mm. right. Um, 
and that that's something that I, when we were uh, blessed with uh, with a grandchild, made it very very clear to our um, uh, to my daughter and son-in-law that God gave you this child. They blessed you with this child. It's it's your responsibility. We're here to support you in any way we can, but we're not going to be telling you, well, they can do this. They can't do that. Like if they're at our house, uh-huh. um, it's not a different set of rules. You know, if, if they, if mom and dad are there and they say no, it's no. Yeah. Right. Uh, they're the parents, all the rest of that. So I think respecting them, um, respecting them as an adult, mm-hmm. being open and able to put those um, suggestions out there. You know, nobody, no grown person wants to be told what to do. Yeah. Right. To say, Scott, you should do this. Right. And you're just going to push back whether or not you're um, in a teenager or an adult. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you can tell stories, you know, mm-hmm. Scott, um, have you ever thought about this? Or, you know, when I was at this point here, um, I found that I tried that and it didn't work really well. Mm. And then they start to ask those questions there. So mm. once again, being more of a, a mentor, a leader. And I, I think even, you know, here I am 52 years old and uh, I'll still ask people that are older than me, mm. um, you know, that I consider mentors and I'll, I'll share with them. Hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this, um, any advice, or I'll even ask sometimes people that are younger, uh, right. Because they can relate to what my, uh, what my kids are going through a lot more or what my son-in-law is going through a lot more. Uh, so asking those questions and be open to it. Cool. Cool. That's great. I mean, literally that's somehow I've stumbled into what I'm doing with this, right. Is, is asking people that I respect their opinions about, about fatherhood and parenting and, and, and how to be a better, better man. So, um, why don't we go ahead and uh, close it up? I think that's a great place to end. Um, two things from you. One, any final thoughts for like young dads, any pieces of nugget of information that you're like, if I could go back and tell myself X before I had my first kid or when we were in the weeds of, uh, you know, uh, multiple diapers to go simultaneously, a chunk of that. And then I'd love to give you just like, I'd love you to to tell the, the, the folks a little bit more about Interview Valet because I do have some folks that are in sales or in marketing and I'd love them to um, see if there's, there's, you know, something that they could potentially work with you uh, to, to connect on that. Yeah. So thank you so much. And somebody shared this with me early on and I've gone back to it numerous times and it's helped me. We're all making it up as we go. Perfect. Right. So when the, when you, you became, when you got married, when you had your first child, you didn't know what you were doing. And, but you made it up as you went, you asked other people, you learned. I remember asking my dad, I'm like, you had it all figured out. And he goes, oh man, I'm glad you thought that because I didn't. (laughs) You know, uh, if you're the uh, a new father or if you're a father of a teenager for the first time, if you're a grandparent for the first time, you're making it up as you go, right? So just ask ask around. Hopefully somebody knows. If you ask around, they will. And hopefully your kids won't realize that you're not that one person that knows. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the funny part is I'm, I worry sometimes my kids are going to find this podcast years from now and be like, you had no idea what you were doing, dad. I'm like, nope, no idea. No idea. <laughs> So interview valet, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So uh, in my view, the biggest problem all businesses have today is obscurity, right? We live in a world of abundance, abundance choices, abundant calories, abundant customers out there. 
if, if you're listening to this, there's thousands, millions of people that would love your service, your product, whatever it is, just the way it is. The problem they're not buying or working with you is they don't know you or they know don't know you exist. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you break through that obscurity? And a lot of people talk about, well, do we? Uh, how do we break through the noise? Most of the time, you're just adding to the noise. So the question is, is how do you get in on the conversation? And podcast interviews can be a wonderful way to do that, to get that know, like, and trust. And, you know, the best way to sell something today is not to sell anything, but earn the respect, awareness, and trust of those who might buy. So Interview Valet is an agency. We've been around since uh, 2014. Uh, We help authors, speakers, coaches, uh, brands get on targeted podcast interviews so they can tell their story and uh, connect with people that could be an ideal customer. And if, you know, we can be of any service to you, uh, please, you know, just uh, come to interviewvalet.com. And uh, if I can be of any service to you, uh, check me out on, I would say, social media. If you go to Facebook, you're going to see all my personal stuff. Uh, So uh, you'll see uh, pictures of the family. If you go to LinkedIn, I'm the only Tom Schwab in all of Kalamazoo. And that's all my professional stuff. But uh, what's ordinary to you is amazing to me. And please connect. That's great. Tom, thank you so much for sharing so much about your life and your history. This has really been helpful. And uh, I'll have links to Interview Valet in the show notes as well. So, Tom, thank you so much again. Thank you, Scott. If you're still there, a little bonus for you. My eldest daughter loves, actually both my daughters love Story Pirates, which is a wonderful podcast uh, for kids where kids write in. And then this group of sketch comedy and musicians uh, create stories based on what the kids wrote. Anyway, they were doing a show about donuts, something to do with the donut game show. And there was a commercial in the middle about a donut shop. And Loretta has been laughing to herself about this for about two weeks. So she finally played it for me the other night and um, I recorded her doing her version of it and I'll play that now. You probably can't understand it between the accent she's trying to do and her laughing, but it made me laugh really hard. And she, uh, when I told her I was going to put it at the end of the podcast, she thought that was pretty cool. So please enjoy this ad for Marta's Donuts. Do you love donuts? Do you think donuts are good? Well, come on down to Marty's Donuts. We gotta love them. They're good, too. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. That's one of our many satisfied customers. <laughs> oh, man, I love these donuts. Oh, God. I tell you, oh, God. <laughs> See? Satisfied. And a real customer. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Wait, how do you press stop? Do you think they can tell that you're my nephew? <laughs> <laughs>